that, so we'll get that out to the world. So, awesome, awesome. That was a fantastic, fantastic song, beautiful. If we could have our kiddos 11 and under, Miss Kiki's got some beautiful, beautiful stuff for you today. As uh, they're jumping downstairs, um, last Sunday we talked about a pretty heavy topic that we never want to talk about, and it's sin, because nobody sins, right? You know, everybody's dealing, has dealt with, continues to deal with the effects of sin uh, in our own life. And uh, this week I wanted to uh, present to you um, an amazing remedy, which is grace. And the church kind of flops all over the map with it. Theologically, the church, everyone believes in grace. Anybody believe in grace here today? Good, good. Now, living grace is a whole other thing, and giving grace. I love the story that Rod shared this morning. Um, it's not, it's not uh, something we deserve, but it's something we need, and we need grace every moment of our life. Um, talking about remedies this morning, I wanted to open up some old-fashioned remedies. Have you ever read about those old-fashioned remedies? Are you ready for this? These are some of the remedies. Now, I want you, when, you're, when we're going to read through this today, think about the Pharisees. Uh, the Pharisees of the day, they tried offering remedies to people. And the Pharisees would create rules upon rules. So you would have the law, which told you to obey the Sabbath, do not commit adultery. And then what the Pharisees would do, the Pharisees would stack all these rules and regulations to go along with it, so as to keep people as in good standing as possible. Let me say Boundaries are good. <laughs> so they go, well, now you can't even, like, make over, I think, the, the, and on the Sabbath, you couldn't take over, I think, 100 steps on the Sabbath, so it wouldn't work on your Fitbit these days. But you couldn't do certain things within the context of those rules. So the Pharisees would create all these boundaries that had nothing to do with the law of God and the law of Christ. I want you to know today, when you're thinking about the law, that the law can't do anything for you except reveal how sinful we are. You know that? So let's look at some remedies today just to kind of open this up. Here's how you deal with acne. Are you ready for this? Here's how you deal with acne back in the day. Wash your face with a wet diaper. Mix three teaspoons of honey into eight ounces of apple cider. Rub it on your face several times a day. That was an old remedy. That's a Truth. Don't do that. These are not things to do. Uh, here's another one. Uh, ant bites. Okay, this is a good one. This might work. Take a dip of snuff and rub the fresh dip snuff on the bite. Anybody got any fresh snuff here today? Okay. Arthritis. Anybody dealing with arthritis here? Okay, good. Here, here we go. Paulette, dissolve three quarters tablespoon powdered pectin or liquid pectin in a glass of purple grape juice. Drink it once a day. Okay. This, from an Amish doctor, 60% of people who try it say it really works. The liquid dissolves better than the powder. All right? The other thing you could do with arthritis is carry a potato in your pocket. It will not rot, but will harden as it absorbs the arthritis. That's free. That's free. All right? So that's good asthma. Here we go. Eat lots of carrots. That will solve your asthma issue. I thought that helps with your eyesight, but that's just me. Um, wear a musket skin on the chest with the fur next to the chest. 
That's some of those old things. Anyways, isn't it funny, these old white tales? Baldness. Anybody dealing with baldness today or thinning hair? Here we go. Here's a good one, folks, for a remedy to this problem. Smear your head with fresh cow manure. Okay, beard growing. Anybody need a beard? You know, we have man November, Manvember, whatever. The liquid obtained from boiling old boots was used to promote growth on hair on the face from young men in an attempt to appear more masculine. There, we, we, we're done for today with remedies, aren't we? Okay, here we go. One more. I'm one more. Cancer preventing. Eat three almonds a day and you will not die from cancer. Then, anyway, that's weak. So there you go, it's just three almonds, not four. The remedy to the problem, really quick, turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 3, 20 through 28, and let's see how we deal with the remedy today, the remedy of sin. And it is grace. I want you to know, we all, again, know the story of grace, we know the story of the cross, but I think the church needs to relearn, especially in America, how to reapply grace to the problems in life. Turn to someone real quick and say, you need a lot of grace. <laughs> Turn to someone real quick to them and say, I need a lot of grace. Romans 3, 20 through 28. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. That's all that the law does. All the law does today for you and me is it gives us a stark reality and a conclusion of where we are at in relation to God. So before Christ comes on earth, we have problems and we have sin problems and sin problems are abounding. We have Pharisees who believe that they are the code enforcers of the law. They are the ones to police God and His holiness. I saw the other day I was driving around in Rockford. They had the Rockford Code Enforcement Vehicles. And it's so great. I mean, you've got to have codes, right? If you don't have good codes, your buildings will fall over. Laws are good. I'm not telling you not to be able to... We, uh, we, we don't live in a society... We, don't live, we live in a lawless society many times where people look at laws and they completely run them down. Uh, but it's very important for us to understand all that law does in context or relationship with Christ is it says we are sinful people in need of a Savior. Old-fashioned remedies. Have you looked for remedies to your sin problem lately? Some of those remedies may include running from them. Anybody ever run from your problems before? That works until that sin starts catching back up to you. Denying you have problems? Gosh, that's an amazing thing for all of us where we just deny we have any issues. You know, when it comes to the doctor, how many of you in this place are the type of person you just wait to go to the doctor to the last minute and finally go, finally, i got to go to the doctor. I had a, I had a toothache, and it finally, and you just get to that point where you're saying, okay, the toothache's going to go away, the problem's going to go away, and finally you get to the point where I told Anna, I said, i got to get to the dentist. i, I got to get there. And like, make the appointment, just get there. And you make the appointment, and you deal with the problem. And see, that's why it's so important for us to understand Jesus as our great physician. Maybe what we do is sin to deal with it and have a remedy for it. And this is where religion's really good at it. We cover it up with just enough religion. We in the church don't say this, but we practice it. We kind of do the karma thing in the Western Christianity. We think, well, if I do some goods, that will outweigh the bads, and somehow it'll kind of make out 
it's the situation better. We'll just outweigh the good with the bad. There is not enough good we can do to deal with the sin problem at the core and the heart of the matter for our lives. Old-fashioned remedies. Brennan Manning wrote this in Ragamuffin Gospel. The bending of the mind by the powers of this world has twisted the gospel of grace into religious bondage and distorted the image of God into an eternal, small-minded bookkeeper. The Christian community resembles a Wall Street exchange of works wherein the elite are honored and the ordinary are ignored. Love is stifled, freedom shackled, and self-righteousness fastened. The institutional church has become a wounder of the healers rather than a healer of the wounded. Put bluntly, the American church today accepts grace and theory, but denies it in practice. Small-minded bookkeeping. You know, when we look at God, our picture of God has to be this. If there is one way, if you were to describe to your unsaved loved ones or friends or neighbors, if you were to give them the story of God and you were to put it down into three words, you know what those three words would be? God is love. That's it. John 3.16, painted across the fence of your life and your heart, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him will not perish, but old-fashioned remedies. Jesus had to deal with the problems of the day. He had a remedy to deal with. Paul would go from church to church and he would preach. The only thing he would preach would be Christ and Him crucified. That you are saved by grace through faith. And these religious leaders would come in there and say, now wait a minute, Paul. We believe that. But here's some things that you have to do. You've got to teach some of the cross and that's good. And it's amazing what Jesus did. But don't you think and see that there's value in circumcision? We want this thing to be this Jewish corner market thing because we're God's people. And those Gentiles, they're kind of below us. Now, we would never admit this in the church today, but we do that same thing with ordinary people. When ordinary people walk in the church with sin problems and sin issues, are we presenting the cross or are we giving them to them some kind of subtext and you're saying, well, yeah, the cross is good and the grace will cover it, but you better do dot, 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 blank, blank, blank. We need a real remedy here. We need a real remedy. And as long as we continue to point fingers, and as long as we continue to walk around with self-righteousness, and as long as we continue to have that form of legalism that the Pharisees had, which Paul had so much animosity towards the religious legalists that he called the legalists dogs. There wasn't a worse word of the day for the legalists or any person for that matter than to call someone a dog. There needs to be freedom because here's what freedom presents. The Bible declares this, that whomever the Son sets free is free indeed. Here's the one thing for sure that we can all know today in dealing with sin last week. And, you know, the great thing is this. We had a lot of people up here at the altar on Sunday dealing with sin. But how many of you know when it comes to sin in our life that there will always be the struggle between the flesh and the spirit? Can I get a resounding amen? 
How many needed to repent after Sunday this last week? How many need to repent after Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday? You just, it goes through and all of a sudden an attitude pops in. Man, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? Man, Lord, forgive me for this time. And it's not so much that we don't have freedom there, but we do struggle there. So we are free and we are not in bondage to sin and death anymore. We are able, we are more than conquerors. So I don't want to get this kind of, we were talking about this a little bit in the men's Bible study. This Christianity is not a coping thing. You know, where we sit around in a circle and we kind of say, I do this and I'm that. No, we are victorious people today. And we do have victory in that. But it doesn't mean that we won't struggle in areas of our lives. And it doesn't mean that we won't wrestle with things in our life. Romans 3.20 and the New Living Translation says this. No one can be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. One of the most powerful demonstrations of the cure that happened was Jesus, when he was out in the streets or wherever he was, and the Pharisees dragged a woman who was caught in adultery, and right there the cure to the problem was solved. And Jesus said this to the Pharisees as they were getting ready to go, Hey, Jesus, this woman was caught in adultery. What do you want us to do? Well, the law says this. She deserves to be stoned. Jesus, now, now what are you going to do? And as Jesus wrote in the sand, and I've heard preachers say this before, it's pretty amazing, I, I want to know someday what Jesus was writing in the sand, don't you? Mm-hmm. I mean, what was he writing? What, was, what notes was he making? I can picture this, Jesus just saying, oh, Pharisee Joe over there, let's, let's, we'll talk later. And, and Jesus gets up, And in Jesus' only way, Jesus says, You who are without sin, cast the first stone. The voices settle down. The rioting mindset, the mob. You know, isn't it interesting in in faith or wherever we get into kind of a mob mentality? It's easier to do these kinds of things when you have a group of people. You know, he didn't have a Pharisee going up there saying by himself and manning up to the situation. He brought all his pals and said, let's take this person down. You know, the church, I don't know if you've been mobbed by members in the church before, but it only takes a couple people to mob someone, doesn't it? We mob them through prayer, Pastor. We mob them through, we're going to just deal with their sin situation right now. Let's bring them up into the church, Pastor. Let's deal with the problem. They're living in sin. Here's what we're saying. They're living in sin. Come on, we were so good at it before. <laughs> you who are without sin, cast the first stone. Honesty. Brennan Manning said, relief comes from rigorous honesty with ourselves. It's interesting that whenever the evangelists, Mark, Luke, or John, mention the apostles, they call the author of the first gospel either Levi or Matthew. But in his own gospel... He always refers to himself as Matthew the publican. Never wanting to forget who he was and always wanting to remember how low Jesus stooped to pick him up. Do you remember how low Jesus stooped to pick us up? Because none of us was deserving of this grace. We always kind of pat ourselves, well, Man, that person, I can't believe that person's dealing with that. And 
if you really were to open and peel back all the stuff going on in our brain, when we become honest with ourselves, we, like Matthew the publican, realize that Christ stooped really low to get us up out of here. We are publicans just like Matthew. Let the church be honest with itself once again. Honestly simply asks if we're open, open and willing and able to acknowledge this truth. Honesty brings an end to pretense through a candid acknowledgement of our fragile humanity. The church, by the way, has been obsessed with its own illusions. You know what's interesting with the church now, with individuals? You know, we can create our own illusions, can't we? Social media highlights that. We put on social media everything we want people to see, our beautiful faces, our beautiful looks, and we continue to put pictures up there to drive home the point. We create illusions for ourselves and for people. People don't see the real us. If there is anything, Facebook is the most fake thing there ever was on earth. It's not the real us. And the church continues to bring forth the packaging of the gospel, if you want to call it that, to the world. And we package it and we make it professional and we make it digestible to people. I'll never forget when we were kind of wanting to put a website together. I was talking about this. And, you know, I didn't want our website to be bigger than who we are. Have you ever picked up a product or looked at something and you go, wow, this is pretty amazing. This, this thing is huge. It's got all this stuff. And then when you kind of peel all this stuff back, you realize it's not as big as it was. You know, we're big into the flash and we're big into the extraordinary, but when you get into the ordinary things of life and when you peel it back and when you get past the illusions that we create with our own religiosity, we realize that at the core of it, our own, uh, our own frailty, our own humanity exists there. The church has been obsessed with its own illusions. Gerald May, a Christian psychologist, writes, Honesty before God requires the most fundamental risk of faith we can take. The risk that God is good. That God does love us unconditionally. It is in taking this risk that we rediscover dignity. To bring the truth of ourselves just as we are to God. Just as God is, is the most dignified thing we can do in this life. Man, can you imagine just getting gut level honest with God? And just bringing before him and going into the throne room of grace and saying, God, I strip back all of, all of this stuff that I've created, all of these layers, and I allow you to be God, and I want to be just me. You know the beautiful picture of the woman who comes before Jesus, and she offers an offering, and she cries at her feet, and she washes his feet with her tears and dries them with her hair. There was a laying it open, honestly, and just pouring her heart out before God. Would you be willing today, by the way, when it comes to grace, to pour your heart out to God? And when's the last time that you or I did that truly poured out to God? Poured out to Him. Not, not the cute prayers. Not the bless my kids and make sure they don't have colds. But Lord, I want to seek you and I want to find you. I want to go after you with all my heart. God, go seek me. Search my life. God, I want to know you. I give you me. Matthew 9, 9 through 13. Let's turn there real quick. To Matthew the publican. I promise not to sing this Veggie Tales song to you. 
Matthew 9, 9 through 13. Let's never forget who Jesus is and what he does. As Jesus went out from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at a tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told them. And Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. Can we all read that together again if you have your Bibles? Can we read verse 10 out loud really good? You ready? Let's do this. Well, we're all going to have different translations, aren't we? I'm not going to do that. Let me say this louder. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said this, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have come to, not to call the righteous, but the sinner. Do you know what a, what a beautiful story if we talk about the story of grace? It's not the healthy he came for. He came for the sick. You know, in the church, it's not our goal here for us to just kind of be the, the Christian club, for us to kind of glean off of each other. Our goal is to be hopefully reaching sick folk, right? I mean, that would be our goal. And one thing I've just had a privilege and an honor of, and I've told you my story, so I'm not going to bore you with it again, but with being bivocational and being in the world and not having to be in the church all day long, because the church gets really stuffy pretty soon, doesn't it? And I love the fact that I'm able to be out there, whether it be doing quotes or talking to business people or every, anything like that. It's amazing that you can just start talking to people and sharing your story and getting out there among the people. Folks, I encourage you. I think we are too Christianized. I think we are too clean. I wish religious folks would start noticing and saying, what are they doing talking to that person and being with that person over there for? Come on. I mean, Jesus never missed an opportunity to be in a synagogue, but let me tell you something. He never missed an opportunity to be with a sinner. Don't miss that opportunity to be a blessing. Don't miss the opportunity to glean from and to offer something that God might have you give. Let me give you some practical strategy when it comes to showing grace. And this is a great way. You want to be a great witnessing tool for someone? Put your little uh, packet away of your Roman road stuff for a moment. How about you just be you for a second? How about you strip back all the religious self-righteousness and say, you know what, I've been struggling with this. Can we pray together? Do you know what, I had a problem similar to that. Ten years ago. You know, we get to a place where we think we've conquered life. That's the crazy thing with us. We have forgotten we need grace every cotton picking moment of the day. We've forgotten it. We only need grace for those big moments. You need grace to breathe, dear one. Martin Kelsey wrote this. The church is not a museum for saints, but a hospital for sinners. So it is. Now, if we want museums here, we can have a little meeting and talk about it. But if you want to be a hospital for sinners, then let's do it. But you're going to have to show grace. By the way, I've shared this before. Grace is this. It is unmerited 
favor. The world doesn't offer a lot of grace, does it? The world is extremely dog-eat-dog. It's a ladder. It's very performance-driven. People think it's safe. it is not a safe place in this world. But what I will dare say this is, is the church safe for the sinner? And I want to make sure that this place provides space and padding for people to grow in their faith and understand that they will be far from perfect. We will be far from perfect. You will be far from perfect. Brennan Manning continues to write, The kingdom is not an exclusive, well-trimmed suburb with snobbish rules about who can live there. <laughs> Me and my dad, we were doing a quote for these condos, okay? We go up to this condo association, and they had this one uh, code enforcer lady, okay? We love condo associations because, you know, you have to have certain light bulbs. No joke, certain condo associations... There has to be certain lights on in your yard. We even had a lady, we were talking to the board president, and this lady wanted to have the trash cans brought back into the garage within an hour of trash pickup. And we're sitting there like, who's got that kind of time to figure this stuff out and to lose sleep over these things? But the kingdom of God is not filled with snobbish rules about who can live there. No. It's for a larger, homelier, less self-conscious cast of people who understand that they are sinners because they have experienced the yawn pitch of the moral struggle. It remains a startling story to those who never understand that the men and women who are truly filled with light are those who have gazed deeply into the darkness of their own imperfect existence. I love that. Those who are filled most with light are those who have peered the most darkly and deeply into their own moral existence. That's the people that Christ is after. I don't want to be the snobbish rule following. No, I want us to be more along the lines of the homelier, self-conscious cast of people who understand they're sinners. I love meeting people that are honest, don't you? It's a breath of fresh air. You know what really gets irking me. And again, it's all good, but I'll go into these Christian bookstore things and they're like, Hallelujah, God bless you. Amen, brother. Amen. Can I bless you? Anyway, how are you? Bless, bless, bless. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus. Jesus Christ. Jesus. Hallelujah. Bless. Do you have anything in there? Is there anything there? Do you believe it? You sleep, you fight. This is not Christianity. This is our little package. This is our little supper we've created. And it's clean and nice and it works. And it's organized and it's well oiled. But we're not feeding people's needs. And we're not extending grace because it's all based. I'm just doing something for us. It's all based on a little trade. I had one person get upset with me a while back, and they had mentioned somehow that they gave or something to our church. And I said, do you realize I don't have any idea what you give to my church? And I couldn't care less. This isn't about that. You can't buy a ticket at Turning Point to get a seat on some hot thing. You can't do it. I 
you're a banker or a lawyer or a doctor or whatever. It is not about that. And we can't build our systems based on some kind of business networking guru model. We must base our system on the first shall be the last and the last. That's our system here in the kingdom. We prefer. We give till it hurts. We provide grace because love covers a multitude of sins. God, give us a cure. I pray our beg would be, our begging prayer would be, God, give us a cure. May we see those people that have gazed deeply into the darkness of their imperfect existence. People maybe who have had situations in their past that they wouldn't want to present in the public and they, they've been open on us and say, man, I need help. Will somebody help me? We offer grace. We have the cure to the world. Do you realize that? We're not confident enough of it. Because we feel like if we give grace, that somehow we're going to lose control of it. Folks, that's the whole idea, is we need to lose control of this thing. It's not ours to control. Never was. We are not legislators of the grace of God. God gives us the cure, and here's how it works. Here's how it works. Romans 3, 21. Turn to somewhere and say, I need a cure. You don't have to run anymore with that junk. You don't have to hide it anymore. It's amazing how many of us, we hide stuff, we package things, we make sure that it's all clean and organized. We organize our sin now in church. We manage it. (laughs) Romans 3, 21 and 22. But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness... How do you get this righteousness? Through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. And here's the kicker. There's no difference between Jew or Gentile. For Paul to say that, no wonder they ran him out and dragged him out in the streets and tried stoning that man. Comparing a Jew with a Gentile? Do you realize how cutting edge that was in his day? Today it doesn't matter to us because it's just all blended and everything. But to say that there's no difference between a Jew and Gentile? I mean, us Jewish people, we've got religion down. We, we, this is ours. This whole thing. This Judaism, everything involved with it. We're the chosen ones. But we Gentiles, we get this thing called being grafted into the vine. We're grafted in by placing our faith. Turn real quick to Ephesians chapter 2. Because we live in a very pluralistic society. We live in a society, again, that doesn't teach that. Putting our faith in Christ. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of yourself. It's a gift of God, not by work, so that no man can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works for which God prepared in advance for us to do. It is by grace you have been saved. Folks, here's the thing for your sin and your situation, and even for the people that you love who are dealing with sin and struggles. Do you believe that God is big enough and that grace is big enough for the situation that you're facing right now? Is it enough? I don't care how many years there's passed between it, 
God's promises are yes and amen, and they're sure. He is the great physician. The Bible declares this, that by his stripes you are healed. You know, we've heard it said time and time again, and maybe in our family I've said it. We say this sometimes, don't we? Don't get your hopes up. Anybody heard that one before? How many believe that one before? Matthew Barnett writes, Our expectations must not fit the mold of this world. See, when we're talking about people and extending grace, you think about what you've been saved from, and you think about how God got you out of that thing. Maybe by God's grace you actually were on a deathbed. Maybe by God's grace you were in an addiction. Or not by God's grace, you, you did that. But by God's grace he got you out of an addiction. Whatever it is. You got your hopes up there, didn't you? You got pretty excited. Have you ever seen the new believers? The new believers get really excited. Those naive believers believing God to do something. Oh, someday they'll get it. This is just a... Oh, I can't believe they're so excited, Pastor. Heaven forbid we get excited about faith. But it's amazing when somebody catches a glimpse of God and the bigness of God, and they catch a glimpse of grace, and whomever has said much, they love much, they grab onto the love of God and who He is, and they say, This God is amazing, I want to tell the world. And then us 20, 30 year veterans just go, Goosh! Throw water on top of it. You need to be calm down a little bit. Don't get your hopes up. If the outside world, by the way, doesn't look at our hope and say that this is over the top, then we haven't truly lived yet. Our expectations for what life can be for anyone who calls in the name of the Lord should be off the charts. This grace is a reckless grace and it offers cures that the world cannot cure. You know that? Our grace offers cures that the world simply can't ever cure. You know, I was thinking about even God's grace in our situations. We have some debts we want to pay off. Does anybody have any debts in here that you need paid off? You know, it's interesting what God does. And it's interesting we're, we're doing some debt snowball stuff just practically. It's really neat to see how God's been faithful in the little things. And you know what? I sat there downstairs praying. I didn't even tell Ann about this, but I had a certain debt that I said, well, that's unmanageable and God will work through this. And I really did. I, I actually separated them in my mind. I can see the digits now. I separated them into two categories. Basically, I can work with God and God can work with me. And this one we're just going to have to put off because it's simply too big. And I sat there at my chair last night at probably 10.45, whatever it was, and I said, Lord, forgive me for shifting my prayer power over onto that and not into this because you are the God of all hope. You're the God that breaks through. He's going to do great things for you that you didn't even dream, think, or hope, or imagine. That's still the God of grace we serve. The God that is so full of grace and love that He frees us from all that junk. You know, this grace is a pretty reckless grace, too. Sloppy. Turn to someone and say, this grace is really sloppy. So sloppy, a man dying on a cross next to Jesus turns to Him while one man is cursing Him and the other man turns to Jesus and said, Jesus... Will you remember me when you go to paradise? He said, before this day is over, you'll join me in paradise. I always love that about the sinner's prayer. I'm not saying you don't say a sinner's prayer, but I do believe that the sinner's prayer has sent more people to hell than anything else. Because we think somehow that the magical prayer is what saves someone. 
when it's faith in Christ. I don't care if you say it a certain way, say Jesus and the Son and the Holy Spirit and forgive this and forgive this. Man, maybe we get back to the prayer of that man dying on the cross saying, God, remember me. How about was there enough grace for Peter who denied Christ three times? At the most important part of Peter's life, Peter denied Christ. Hey, Peter, Mr. Bold Man, in faith and do anything for me, before the rooster crows, you'll have denied me three times. Never me. Was there enough faith or grace for Moses who murders a guy and then lives on the backside of the desert for 40 years? Was there enough grace for him Was there enough grace for Rahab, the harlot, who was written and etched in stone with the lineage of Jesus Christ, who threw out a scarlet rope and honored God by her faith, and her whole family was saved as a result of that moment of faith and desperation? Was there enough grace in that? We have this really weird picture in the church of somehow the Bible full of all these beautiful saints. And really what we need to do is we need to change our verbiage and say, it's a really beautiful picture of beautiful sinners who God saved. Because no one in this Bible deserved anything that God gave them. No one. How about Noah? Builds the boat, one of the greatest faith things that ever happened in the Bible. A type of Christ, the ark. Noah gets done, and right after he's done, he's lying drunk in his tent full of wine. Was there enough grace for that? We know grace in our theology, but Steve Lapp is not good at practicing it. Because out of my mind comes thoughts like, they're getting what they deserve. Come on. They get what's coming to them. And I believe that we can provide a cure, and we can get away from the religious snake oil salesman mindset of saying, this remedy will happen if you just get on our little spiritual treadmill, and you have four more quiet times to do this. Folks, it doesn't work that way. Grace never has. All of us in the church are looking for tips and we're looking for trips to fix our remedies. The three things that will fix my marriage. None of those three things. You've already tried those three things. How many tried those three things before? When you fall down at the cross and you realize that there's grace for you, there's a beautiful remedy there for you. There's a beautiful remedy for your family. Allow grace to cure the sin that's been harming you. Sandra, if you want to come up here and start playing, please. Thank you. By the way, Tulian Shabdin wrote this. The Bible is not a witness to the best people making it up to God. It's a witness to God making it down to the worst people. Robert Capone wrote, 
Grace works without requiring anything on our part. It's not expensive. It's not even cheap. It's free. It refuses to be controlled by our innate sense of fairness and reciprocity or even handedness. Folks, grace denies logic. Why don't you close your eyes for a moment? I want you to think in the context, maybe you know Christ today. Probably the majority of all of us in here do. So there was no new Bible stories or no cool Greek or Hebrew today. Just simple grace. You know, sometimes we overlook how simple it is. You call upon the name of the Lord and and you will be saved. We forget the simplicity of grace, that it is what it is. And as Jesus, dying on the cross, declared one of the most amazing statements ever, and he said, Lord, forgive them, for they don't even know what they're doing. Even in the greatest moment, where he could have deflected anything, he simply absorbed the blow and offered grace even in dying. Today, maybe you need to offer, first and foremost, yourself grace. Let yourself off the hook for a moment. Why don't you take yourself off the hook and say, God, I just need you. You know, Paul declared that his strength is made perfect in our weakness. And maybe right now you're in a very weak moment, and the trials are pounding you, and you're being pounded on every side, and you don't look like a saint or feel like a saint. But deep down inside, you know that Christ has forgiven you. And today, you need to reassure yourself of the grace of God that offers forgiveness to you. And you simply say, God, I accept your forgiveness for this area of my life. I accept your grace, which is unmerited favor. I don't deserve it, Lord, but I receive it. Today, with every head bowed and every eye closed, today maybe you're in need of grace. Maybe you've been trying your own remedies. You've been running. You've been hiding. You've been covering. I don't care what it is. But today, through the love of God, those things have been exposed to you and your heart and your mind. And you're recognizing that I need to give those things and allow the grace of God to provide healing so that I could be whole again. Today, if that's you, why don't you raise your hand for a moment so that Christ can extend His grace to you. Don't wait to raise your hand for that. Thank you. Thank you. You're receiving your grace for that situation You're receiving grace. Why don't we just pray this prayer together? It's just a simple acknowledgement of the fact that you're acknowledging that that grace is sufficient for you right now in the moment that you're facing. Dear Jesus, I thank you for your grace for me. Forgive me for forgetting about it. Apply your grace to this situation. 
to this set of circumstances. That in my weakness, your strength is made perfect. Thank you, God, for giving me grace. Thank you for your mercy. And thank you for being the God of second chances. In Jesus' name. Amen. Wanted to end with this thought for all of us. One of the great heroes of the faith, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, during the times of Nazi Germany, and he lived here in the States and ended up being imprisoned in Germany. He went back. He was safe here, but he needed, felt like it was his need to jump back into it. But he had an amazing thought on grace. And I want you to be well aware of this so that you can always be receiving on the receiving end of grace. Don't you want to always be on the receiving end of grace? God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And he said this, cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. This grace is free, but it will cost you everything, folks. See, we can't preach forgiveness of sins today, we never will be able to, without also preaching repentance. And so as you receive grace, just realize that as the Holy Spirit quickens you and say, you know what, I've been in bondage to that, Lord, I repent. In other words, I'm turning the other direction. Don't ever make God's grace cheap and just say, well, just God covers it all. He just takes care of it all. He only can take care of what you give to him. And folks, moment by moment, as God reveals himself to you, as he's faithful, God will open those doors of grace. And when you receive grace, I am telling you, it will give you hope. To be able to think today, with all the circumstances that you face, and be able to say right now in this moment, now you have hope because grace is covering that, that he's giving you strength in the middle of that weak situation. It's a very beautiful thing. I love you so much. Why don't we close our prayer? Father, I thank you, Lord, for grace. We can't preach grace enough. We can't have enough grace. Every moment of the day, God, every waking moment, God, we need your grace. And God, I pray that we would not only receive grace, but we would also display it, that we would give it to the most needy person of grace, the one that we say, man, I don't even want to give that person grace. I pray that it works out for our neighbors. I pray that it works out for our relatives. And Lord, I speak against the spirit of fear that we would try to recoil back and create boundaries for this grace. But God, I pray that you break those religious self-righteous barriers down and that our church, every one of us, God, would be givers of grace and that we would give people who don't deserve favor, we would give them favor today. Holy Spirit, lead us to the right people in the right directions for those who need grace. In Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, Amen. Amen. Love you folks very, very much. You be graceful people and give a lot of it. You know it's unlimited. You can't run out of it. That's the cool thing. I love you very much. Have a great, great week.